tonight we are in the book of Mark in the Bible. We're in Mark 1. It's 21 to 34 if you want to search for it in your Bible or swipe to it on your phone. And it's also going to be up on the screen here, I think. Um, Where we are in this part of Mark, Jesus has just been baptized. He's been tested and tempted in the desert. He has got some disciples. They've chosen to follow him. And where we're looking at tonight, it's kind of like the very early beginnings of Jesus's ministry. It's almost a little bit of like a debut to see what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus is going to be doing for the rest of his time. So let us read that. Mark 1, 21. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drew out many demons, but he would not let them speak, because they knew who he was. So, when I was at home this week preparing this talk, I was at home, and I was in my kitchen, and I was in my PJs, and I had my laptop, and everything was going okay, except I was cold. Now, I am a born and bred Aberdonian, And us Scots, we are meant to be tough and hardy and used to the harsh climate here in Scotland. But I, I am not. And a true Aberdonian should never, ever admit to those things. So maybe I'm not true. Maybe there was a wee mistake there in my making. But I've always thought that I might be more suited to like a tropical island, Greek island, Hawaii, some kind of like hot climate. So if as a church we ever decide that we hear the call of God and he's sending us to said tropical island, I will be the first to volunteer as tribute. Gladly. So I don't deal well with the cold. So, ladies and gentlemen, what I did was I stood up, I walked over to my kettle, I turned it on, I boiled the kettle. I didn't boil the kettle, the electricity did. But I then, once it was boiled, I poured a hot water bottle. Riveting stuff. Um... After that, I used the age-old technique of stuffing the hot water bottle up my hoodie and zipping it up because I knew that if it was right close to me, I would warm up super fast because when heat is close, you don't stay cold for long. And the same theory applies to light. Where there is light, it can't stay dark for long. And in this passage, we see Jesus coming in as the light of the world into a city and into a place that is known for its darkness. And because Jesus is coming as the light of the world, this place will not stay dark for long. 
This moment in Mark is actually something that was prophesied about um, in Isaiah. And where we are, Jesus is in Capernaum, which is, just FYI, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And say, ooh, I know, right? And this moment was prophesied about in Isaiah 1, no, 9, 1 to 2. And it said, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And that light was Jesus. In this story, it was prophesied and it's coming true. Jesus is breaking in with his light that is radiating and powerful and that is just going to wipe that darkness away so that darkness can't stay, demons flee, sickness is healed. Jesus has come in as the light of the world. And that's what Jesus does in life. He brings light. And this gospel, Mark's gospel, is a really responsive gospel. We always see Jesus acting and Jesus saying something, and then we see how people are responding to what Jesus says and what Jesus does. Um, It's kind of like Jesus is the Marmite king. Okay, People love him, or people hate him, but... (laughs) Stay with me now. (laughs) The contrast of his light versus the dark demands a response either way. And people did. People responded and people had lots of opinions in this passage. So Jesus is here and he's bringing in his light into this place. And as well as his light, he is coming in with his authority. The very fact that Jesus has arrived at this new town and he's gone into their synagogue and he's started to teach, that in itself is a big act of authority because in that place is where all the key movers and shakers and teachers and preachers and leaders in the community would have been and they would usually be the ones who would be speaking and here's Jesus he's gone in and he is proclaiming this new teaching the fact that it's a new teaching is actually quite cool as well because it kind of marks for us that Jesus is it's not just a new teaching This is Jesus bringing in a whole new way of living. Because Jesus came to rescue. He came to rescue the whole world, to bring his light into the darkness in the whole world. He came so that the things that can feel harmful in our lives, that can feel like they bind us, would break so that demons would flee and sickness would heal. Jesus came to rescue. And this um, series that we're doing as a church in Mark. It's called the King and his cross. And ultimately, Jesus coming in with his light and coming in with his authority are the two things that eventually take him to the cross. And when he gets to the cross, he deals with all of it. He deals with all of the darkness and all of the sickness and all of it is gone. And even though in our world we can sometimes, we can still see terror and we can still see despair and we can still see darkness. We can know the truth that Jesus, with his loving authority, has already won the victory. He's already claimed the victory with his light and with his authority. And that's what he's starting to bring in here in this passage. So these are two things that Jesus is bringing in, his light and his authority. 
And I just wanted this evening to have a wee look at where Jesus is bringing these things into. So we're going to play a little game of Where's Jesus? Can you tell I work with kids? Right? Now, this is Jesus' big debut into ministry. And I was thinking about this. I think if I had been in charge of Jesus' PR at the time, I think I would have taken a slightly different approach to the whole thing. I think, for starters, I would have picked a miracle like feeding the 5,000 because you would have tons of people. Word of mouth would spread like wildfire. You are feeding people at the same time as performing a miracle, and people respond really well to being fed. So it's just a win all around. However, that is not the approach that Jesus took. He chose this synagogue in an area where people were said to be full of darkness. And when he is teaching in this place, he is interrupted by a man who is possessed with a demon. And that is a really, really messy opener. That's a really messy way to start your ministry. So where is Jesus? Where is he bringing this light? And where is he bringing this authority? He is bringing it into the mess. As people, and especially as British people, we really love order. We kind of thrive on it sometimes. We like our ducks in a row and everything just so. And I'm one of the worst for it. I like order so much that I actually tried to rhyme that sentence. So I really hope you appreciate it. It just felt right to me at the time. I am. I'm really, really bad at loving order. Sometimes this can be a strain, I will admit, on the people nearest and dearest to me. Um, I used to live in a flat with three of my best friends, and it was a great place to live. We had such a nice time. We were all very, very different people. We had completely different degrees, very different interests, quite different ways of living. But because of our differences, that made us strong. Isn't that beautiful? But it was a great place to live, but we were different. Usually, that was fine, except there was this one difference in opinion within the flat where I sometimes had a clash with. You see, one of my flatmates held the opinion, and I quote, clutter makes it feel homely. I know, right? I know! Even just saying it makes me uncomfortable because clutter doesn't make a place homely. It makes a place messy. Not homely, messy. So, (laughs) it was a big, big strain in our living relationship. But, so this, this flatmate, she used to make our house a home by leaving glorious wee pockets of clutter everywhere. And that slightly got to me sometimes. So, What I would do is that when she would leave the house in the morning to go to uni, I would wave her off, say goodbye, and then I would go around tidying up all of her clutter that made the place like home until I felt content and at home again in the beautiful, organized, everything of it. So that that was the way that I worked with the situation. However... The madness to my method is this. I can be quite a forgetful person. So, at the end of the day, when my flatmate would come home from uni, she would say, Sarah, where's my laptop? 
And I would think, mm, laptop, I'm sure I saw that earlier today. And she'd ask, Sarah, where's my handbag that has my purse in it? And I'd be like, handbag, purse, it was in the clutter, where is it now? And she would go on and on about her uni work and all of this important things in life. And I had tidied her stuff so well that on quite a few occasions, she couldn't find them for days. And I had no idea where I'd put them. I really, really don't like mess. <laughs> but the thing that I have been learning is that although I'm not good with mess, God is. God is actually really quite good with mess. So maybe my flatmate was on a holier level than I am. <laughs> but <laughs> God is good with mess. And he's really, really good with chaos. And time and time again in the Bible, we see situations that seem messy or that seem chaotic. And God comes into the mess. He brings his light and his authority into it. He's good with chaos. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible that is about God in the mess and in the chaos is at the very, very start of the Bible in Genesis 1-2. And what it is, is that before creation, there was this inky, black, empty, formless, dark mess. And where was God in all of that darkness and in all of that mess? He was hovering right over it. He was there, ready to create something beautiful and to breathe life into that mess. And that is kind of what God's posture in mess tends to be. It's like he's, he's like hovering there, ready to engulf it and turn it into something beautiful and create and recreate and recreate and recreate because that is what he loves to do in our lives and in our mess. And another example about God coming into the mess and coming into the chaos can also be found in Mark. Again, it's in chapter 4. And Jesus is in a boat with his friends. Jesus decides to take a nap. Whilst he is napping, there a storm's brewing, and the storm brews a lot. And suddenly, the disciples are in panic because they are in the middle of this choppy, messy, chaotic storm. And so they wake Jesus up, and Jesus gets up, and Jesus calls to the storm, and he says, Be still! And when he says that, the waves die down, the wind stops, and he restores the original order to the sea. And there's a link that comes in between this in chapter 4 and what we've been reading in chapter 1. Because in the original Greek, when... I don't actually speak Greek, I had to Google that. (laughs) Just FYI. Um, I used to be a primary school teacher, so I definitely don't speak Greek. Although maybe that offends primary teachers. Anyway. (laughs) Gone off on one. In the original Greek, the exact same word that Jesus uses to rebuke the demon is the same word that he uses to silence the storm. And it's that same God who in the mess of our lives and in the storms of our lives creates beauty from that mess and brings peace into our chaos. So where can Jesus be found? Jesus can be found in the mess. He's in the mess in this story and he can be in the mess in our lives, restoring and recreating and healing and bringing light to where there was darkness before. Yeah. So, I feel like it's time for another story. Once 
there was a time when I lost my keys. So, I looked everywhere for it. I looked up, I looked down, I looked all around. And then I found my keys in my bag. That's the end of the story. It was a fairly normal thing to happen. It was a very ordinary story. But that can be the case with a lot of things that are lost and we're trying to find. Often, we find exactly what we're looking for in a very ordinary place, like finding keys in a handbag or clothes in a drawer. We find things in ordinary places. And in this story, Jesus is found in the ordinary. Jesus has gone into this synagogue on the Sabbath, which is a very ordinary thing to do on the Sabbath, And he then has gone to his friend's house for a Sabbath day lunch. I'd like to picture roast and veg, but I don't know what he had. Um, Again, a very ordinary thing to do, to go to your friend's house for lunch. But it is in these ordinary places and ordinary habits that Jesus is showing up and shaking up and brightening up by bringing in his light and his authority into this very normal situation. And again, so often, this is what we see happening in the Bible. Jesus was born in a stable. Like, that is crazy hipster ordinary. So ordinary. The Sabbath, the Samaritan lady met Jesus when she was going for water. Again, we all drink water. Moses was met by God on a normal day in his normal job when he was trying to go about under the radar God met him in a burning bush and gave him a new job where he was going to save a whole nation from captivity. God loves to meet people in the ordinary. He uses the ordinary habits and he uses the ordinary places and he also uses the ordinary people. He uses the mums and the sons and the fishermen and the tax collectors and the do-gooders and the so-bad... Oh, oh, I'll tell you a joke. I had a really good line for that. I was going to say... The goody two. <laughs> I was gonna say the goody two shoes. Wait for it. And the so bad you've no shoes. <laughs> I got lost. I just wanted to share that joke. Sorry. Back to the main point. Jesus uses the ordinary. Jesus even used a donkey to make an extraordinary entrance on Palm Sunday. What is more dull than a donkey? He uses really ordinary things. I was thinking about this earlier today and thinking about how in our culture at the moment there's this phrase that people use and I'll try not to get on a high horse about it because I really can't stand it but it's when people say that something or someone is beige And if you've not heard it before, it basically means that something or someone is so normal that it is dull and bleak and boring, which is just pure offensive. Anyway, God seems to use situations and people and places that we might in our day describe as beige. So often we can see the ordinary as something that is really awful and it is not a good thing whereas I actually wonder if God sees the ordinary as something that's like maybe a beige canvas that he can chuck his color and chuck his light onto God loves to use the ordinary 
And we all have things in our lives that seem ordinary. Maybe it's an ordinary job or an ordinary place or ordinary people. But when we let Jesus into these ordinary things, he can bring about the extraordinary. When we make the choice to let God into that, he can be at work. I mentioned earlier that Mark is a really responsive gospel. We're always hearing people's reactions to Jesus. They were amazed and they questioned and news spread. People responded. And all of those responses challenge us to think of what our response to Jesus might be. Maybe tonight for the first time you want to make up your mind about this Marmite king. People loved him. People hated him. But the contrast of his light and his dark and his authority demands a response. As well as the opinions that people had about Jesus, people were amazed by Jesus. Again and again in this passage we hear the word amazed. And it might just be me, but when I was reading that, I was so challenged about how often am I accustomed to Jesus and not amazed by him? And Working with kids, um, some of the kids I've worked with are from the St. Macker site here at City Church. And there is one boy who comes along on our walking bus. And the walking bus is kind of an extension ministry to MAD where kids in the local area who want to come to church but their parents don't want to come to church, this team of people walk along the streets and they kind of collect at bus stops all of these kids that are wanted to come to church. So this boy has come to church on our walking bus. He has no background of who God is or what God can do in your life. And every time he hears something new about God, whether that's in worship or in prayer or in a Bible story, he just interrupts you and he goes, wow. And his eyes just widen and he's so full of awe and amazement at who God is and what he can do in your life. And I know for me that I want some of that wow back in my life and in my relationship with God. Whether it's things that I know of God and know are true or whether it's new things that I'm finding out about God. I want that wow back because he is amazing. People in this passage knew it and sometimes we maybe need to remind ourselves that we know it. And finally, people responded when they saw who Jesus was and what Jesus did when they saw the light that he brought into the dark and the authority that he brought with that when they saw that he healed the sick and that demons fled when he dealt with the messy and the ordinary the way that people responded to that is that they brought him more and my question that I just want to throw out to us tonight is that where in our lives there are seems like there's stuff that is messy or that is ordinary or that is dark are we bringing those things to God because he can make a difference in it he can bring the light in and he can bring the authority into those things we can go with trust that God will bring that light and that beauty and that healing and that restoration to our mess and to our ordinary